Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Canada's public health agency says a federal election during the pandemic would be difficult, but possible. We have seen elections occur safely across this country. It may not be desirable, but it seems to be a situation that can be managed rather safely. Jagmeet Singh says we don't need an inquiry into for-profit long-term care homes because the evidence already exists. We know that for-profit homes are far more dangerous, far more likely to catch COVID-19 and to die if you're in a for-profit care home. And this isn't about jurisdiction. This Rivera is owned by the federal government. The prime minister could immediately fix this. And disappointment from the Bloc Québécois to the Conservative Party's reaction to a bill demanding an apology for the use of the War Measures Act in 1970. You cannot pretend to be deeply in love with Quebec without respecting this desire of Quebecers to receive some apologies from Her Majesty's government. It's Friday, October 30th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. We're joined by HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief and the host of the follow-up podcast, Althea Raj. Althea, thank you for being with us. Good morning, Mark. So Canada's public health agency is saying it is possible to hold a federal election during the pandemic. It's not desirable. It would be difficult, but it, it could get done. And I think we've seen the evidence of that. There have been provincial elections. There have been two federal by-elections. And there's an election going on in the United States. So obviously it is possible. Uh, what do you think this does for politics in Canada? Because I think there are some people perhaps who will want an election. I'm talking about politicians now, less than, than uh, Canadian voters, but who may want an election in the next six months. Yeah, I think that, well, basically the Conservatives for the past few days have been uh, trying to press the Prime Minister on the question of whether or not, you know, in the lead up to that confidence vote from last week, he had um, consulted with Dr. Tam and asked her whether or not it was safe to have federal election uh, during a pandemic. And so what we saw um, this week yesterday was basically an official from PHAC saying basically what you said, um, we have seen elections uh, occur safely across this country uh, pointing to the two by-elections from earlier this week, the election in Saskatchewan, the election in British Columbia, the election in New Brunswick, uh, may not be desirable, but um, it it seems to be a situation that can be managed rather safely. And then Bonnie Henry at the BC Health Office there, um, she pointed out that the number of new COVID-19 cases in that province have not been related to election activities. Um, and that there were measures to mitigate risks, including, um, which we haven't seen, uh, I don't think, at the federal level, telephone voting. So people are hmm. um, using creative ways of, uh, you know, addressing those needs, whether or not that's even more tempting uh, to the federal liberals remains to be seen. Uh, you know, their possibility exists. I imagine that they can make the fiscal update. They could and, you know, ask for a vote on the fiscal update, they could say that's a confidence vote, just like they can say anything is a confidence vote. Um, if they don't even need to say anything is a confidence vote, the Prime Minister could just walk over to the Governor General and, and say, you know, throw his hands in the air and say, I don't think Parliament is working. I would like an election. Um, so, yes, you know, there's certainly the appetite for a federal election from some corners of the Liberal Party that existed last week uh, still exists this week. 
And still could exist in the spring if it doesn't happen in the fall. And and uh, who knows what things will be like then. Um, so uh, Yeah, that's why I'm not... Uh, um, I would say the argument put forward is that if they're going to go in the next you know, 12 months, they should go now. Uh, the, one, the one unknown, and I think we may have discussed this, is the ethics commissioner's investigation into Mr. Trudeau, not Mr. Morneau, which was dropped um, this week, but into Mr. Trudeau's, you know, whether or not he recused himself from the weed uh, charity contract, um, his family's dealing with that organization, you know, would that be another bombshell or would that not move votes? Uh, do people want to go after there is um, a budget uh, debt that's nearly a trillion dollars, the deficit that's nearly you know, between 350 and 400 uh, billion dollars. Uh, it seems riskier. Plus, you never know what's going <laughs> to. You never know what's going to happen in a few months. Yeah, true. Uh, and and I think that's why some liberals are pushing for it sooner rather than later. Is the more yeah, time passes, exactly. the the more likely the window closes, the window of opportunity for them. Um, so let's turn to the state of Canada's long-term care facilities, nursing homes, retirement residence, uh, residences, um, and Jagmeet Singh's comments yesterday about that. Obviously, this is one of the things uh, that has been exposed during the pandemic, the fact that uh, there, there are issues at these homes. There, were, there was evidence of that before. But it's become even more evident during the pandemic where there have been outbreaks. Um, and Jagmeet Singh is saying the solution is to stop having for-profit nursing homes uh, and long-term care facilities rather than have more rules or guidelines. What do you think about that? Yeah, well, I think the the headline for me from his press conference on Thursday was really... Um, tying federal responsibility over a crisis in one particular uh, chain of long-term care homes, um, Rivera. Um, And I didn't actually realize this, but this is a wholly owned subsidiary of the public sector pension investment board, a a crown corporation. Basically, Mr. Singh was putting um, the onus on the federal government for the more than, and this is a staggering number, 164 people have died just in the care, uh, you know, who were living at this chain of long-term care homes. That is an astonishing number. Um, and so he is basically calling on the government to eliminate the for-profit uh, motivation of this long-term care home thing that, you know, this is contributing to a bigger problem. Um, and that, that, that Rivera basically is the... The, the example of why profit in long-term care homes does not work. Um, we haven't seen, you know, John Horgan, the re-elected uh, premier, NDP premier of British Columbia, was asked this question during a debate uh, during the election. And, you know, he wouldn't go as far as saying there should be no for-profit homes whatsoever. And yeah, I don't think that that um, is going to find resonance um, with other parties but the idea that, you know, you're tying responsibility, direct responsibility for the death due to negligence um, of, of individuals to the federal government um, was quite powerful, I think. All right. Finally, let's talk about the Bloc Québécois motion to demand an apology from the federal government for invoking the War Measures Act during the October crisis of 1970. 
this is the 50th anniversary, of course, uh, and uh, it was the Prime Minister's father who invoked the War Measures Act at the request of the Quebec and Montreal governments. Um, the Bloc uh, has been trying to bring this motion forward. It now looks like it will be voted on early next week. What are some of the dynamics around this for all of the different parties who have to choose whether or not to support this motion? Yeah, it resembles uh, a motion actually that was um, introduced at the Assembly, um, the Assemblée Nationale in Quebec City. Um, I don't actually think the Bloc was under any illusion that the Prime Minister would actually um, you know, apologize for the actions that his father uh, took, actions that uh, remain in some corners of the country quite popular actions, especially in English Canada, that is obviously not the case um, in most parts of Quebec. Um, I think what the Bloc is really trying to do is re- reframe the narrative around the Conservatives in Quebec. And, you know, Aaron O'Toole, the new Conservative leader, was on Radio Canada earlier this, uh, this fall, and he said that uh, his goal is to get 30 seats in the next election in Quebec. And he has talked a lot about uh, his plan for Quebec. You know, when you ran uh, for the leadership, he had a, basically a Quebec-specific platform. And uh, we know the Tories spent a lot of time in the last election kind of paving um, paving the road for what they thought were going to be big Quebec gains at the expense of the Bleu Québécois. This, the same voters that would vote Conservatives uh, are, the same, are the voters that vote block in many cases, mostly not the block voters in urban centers, but in what we call in Quebec, the regions, the outskirts, the suburbs, rural areas. And um, what we saw this week was basically that the conservatives who are struggling with the this, this two solitudes, how to speak with one voice to the two solitudes, decided to speak uh, really basically for English Canada. Um, so this motion is actually, you know, it could have been more uh, uh, emotional, less likely that the Conservatives would support it. But in the way that it was framed, basically, the the Bloc is calling on the government to apologize for those 500 people who were who were detained uh, without charge for no reason. And it's a it's for a lot of Quebecers, this is a, a black mark in their history, and that the that the Conservatives cannot. Uh, cannot find it in themselves to vote for this motion is certainly something that the Bloc will not let uh, Quebec voters forget. Right. All right. Very interesting. We'll see how that plays out next week. Althea, thank you so much for joining us today. Have a great weekend. Thank you very much, Mark. You too. That's Althea Raj, HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief and the host of the follow-up podcast. You cannot pretend to be deeply in love with Quebec without respecting this desire of Quebecers to receive some apologies from Her Majesty's government. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In an editorial, the Toronto Star argues the federal government has no reason to apologize for using the War Measures Act in 1970. The Star writes, The Bloc Québécois ignores the pertinent fact that Ottawa invoked the War Measures Act at the urgent request of both the Quebec and Montreal governments. Largely due to Pierre Trudeau's decisiveness, political violence ended in Quebec, and debate about the province's status in Canada was waged in the appropriate democratic forums by elected political actors. There's nothing to apologize for in that. In the National Post, Jesse Klein argues, recent elections show incumbents have a clear advantage. 
Klein writes, If trying to force an election by turning a conservative motion into a confidence vote was the Liberals' true strategy, the three recent provincial elections and two federal by-elections show that it would have been a good one had it succeeded. It would appear as though many Canadians think their leaders have done a good job of handling the pandemic and don't think this is any time for the partisanship and instability that comes with minority governments. In the Globe and Mail, Timothy Garton Ash warns the world's democracies should prepare for a contested U.S. election result. He writes, The stakes are so high for all of us. At worst, this election could mark a further downward turn in a worldwide democratic recession. At best, it could be the beginning of a wider global democratic renewal so that government of the people, by the people, for the people shall not perish from the earth. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. Just afternoon today, Immigration Minister Marco Mendocino will release Canada's immigration targets for the next few years. As CPAC's Martin Stringer explains, immigration during a global pandemic raises a lot of questions. Mark, Minister Mendocino will release Canada's targets for immigration for the next three years as part of his annual immigration report, tabled every year at this time. But setting out targets for immigration in the middle of a global pandemic raises so many questions. Last year, the Trudeau government laid an ambitious plan to uh, increase immigration levels by about a million between now and 2022. We'll have to see what the new targets are extending to 2023. The arguments in favour of immigration are well known, that it contributes to Canadian society, that it reunites families and that it bolsters economic growth and innovation. And almost 50% of immigrants will be in an economic category such as investors, entrepreneurs, people with economic skills and people directly recruited already by Canadian companies. But with the Canadian economy functioning at a slowed down rate, is there still the same need and demand for this level of immigration? Can the same numbers of people be integrated into the economy? 700,000 fewer Canadians are employed now compared to prior to the pandemic. Is it fair to be bringing more people in? And the other category of family reunification. Is now the time to be trying to reunite families? Is it even safe to be traveling with most international travel now shut down? We also know that this spring the levels of immigration dipped considerably because of the difficulty in processing applications. Canadian immigration offices abroad have been closed and facilities here in Canada have been closed or have gone completely digital or online because of social distancing and other pandemic precautions. So Mark, there'll be plenty of questions to ask the minister responsible for immigration when he makes his announcement this morning. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will speak with the media along with Indigenous Services Minister Mark Miller and Minister of Families Ahmed Hussain. He will also make a virtual visit to a small business in British Columbia. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will speak to the Chamber of Commerce of Metropolitan Montreal. Diversity Minister Bardish Chagger will be joined by Minister of Digital Government Joyce Murray to announce funding recipients of the Anti-Racism Action Program. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole will speak at a Canadian Club Toronto event. And NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will be the guest speaker of the Montreal Unemployment Committee. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, October 30th. Tune in to Primetime Politics Weekend on CPAC for coverage of all the week's events. Our podcast returns Monday morning. Have a great weekend.